This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript The Good Parts, Build Web Applications with Node.js, AngularJS In-Depth, and Advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by CodeShip.io. Don't you wish you could simply deploy your code every time your test passed? Wouldn't it be nice if it were tied into a nice continuous integration system? That's CodeShip. They run your code. If all your tests pass, they deploy your code automatically for fuss-free, continuous delivery. Check them out at CodeShip.io. Continuous delivery made simple. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept a job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Component One, makers of Widgmo. If you need stunning UI elements or awesome graphs and charts, then go to Widgmo.com and check them out. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 135 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel, we have Dave Smith... Hello, world. Jameson Dance. Hi, friends. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And this week we have a special guest, Ward Cunningham. Uh, hi there. Do you want to introduce yourself, Ward, real quickly? Well, i am uh, been a longtime uh, developer, best known for making the first wiki, uh, which was an advocate's uh, wiki. It was a place uh, where people who cared about patterns and pattern languages got together and... Uh, talked about how they might influence design. It was really kind of a birthplace for uh, what we now call agile software development. So that's a couple cool things, and I still love programming. And I I still get paid for it, too. (laughs) Very cool. I regularly use C2Wiki just in, I don't know, I come across it all the time. So it's still a really valuable resource. Yeah, absolutely. There's still a community there. It's, you know, its high point was probably, you know, years two through five took a year for people to really kind of catch on to what it was and to get on, get enough accounts to get on the net, you know, because this started in, you know, early 1995. But five years after that, the encyclopedia people got a hold of it and made me famous. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I love it. So we brought you on to talk about the smallest federated wiki. Yes. Do you want to kind of give us an overview of what that is about? It was called the smallest federated wiki because I had this notion at, at the Indie Web Camp that we could knock it off as an interesting prototype in a day. And three years later, I'm still working on it. So that so I dropped the smallest part. But, uh, the, you know, it was, it was basically to encourage people to not overthink things. Let's just see this federation concept work. And, of course, we know federation. Email is federated. You know, it used to be more federated. Uh, now most people just go to Gmail, but... This uh, concentration of uh, our cyber lives onto a handful of uh, servers was uh, considered a real problem at, at the Indie Web Camp. And, you know, I admitted that I, I had seen the way a big wiki would prevent little wikis from flourishing, you know, because why would you write in a little wiki when there's a big wiki with more readers? So I had seen that capture effect firsthand and was a little uh, saddened by it. Uh, and so I'd been 
pondering how to uh, fully distribute a, uh, a wiki. My original thought would be it was servers, servers talking to each other, and then you would just hop onto your nearby server and find out what it had brought you. Because that's really the experience I had. You know, I had this uh, wiki running under my desk, and I was serving the Internet through a 14.4 modem, but, you know, I had uh, Ethernet from my uh, desk computer to that server. So it was fast for me and slow for everyone else. <laughs> but, you know, I also was careful to not do too many images or whatever. And because I knew I was going through 14.4, I always made everything uh, nice and tight. And the people who would read it would be reading it through their 14.4 modems. And they would, they would meet me at conferences and say, how do you make that site so fast? And I explained this because I had a 14.4 modem, and but that was uh, that was really it. You know, uh, it stayed very texty and uh, very simple. But uh, after years of you know everybody else in the world making a wiki, I uh, got around to having another go at it, and that's certainly relevant to this call because uh, the thing that I I learned is that the uh, center of sharing was not servers talking to each other, but you know a, a single page application talking to a bunch of servers oh, using cool. this cross-origin resource sharing. And so I've, I've learned a lot of uh, a lot of JavaScript, and I'm, I'm very excited about the potential, especially when you do this cross-origin stuff, because you bring stuff from different sites into one object space. And even though it's kind of designed not to do this, you can, you can get it to, uh, to have those uh, pages, I call them pages, wiki pages, work together in one web page. And that, that's a... That's a pretty exciting model, I think. Yeah. So have you preserved the requirement to operate on a 14.4 modem? Uh, well, you know, uh, I, I do, yeah, in some degree. If you talk to the server and ask for an HTML page, it'll give you one, and it doesn't render much, but it will put images into text pages. And that makes sure that, you know, even stupid uh, uh, robots can kind of understand what's there. And Super cool. I kind of wish we could do an informal poll of our listeners right now and have them raise their hand if they ever got on the internet with a 14.4 modem. <laughs> um, I know I did, but I'm sure a lot of people listening haven't. Anyway. Can you explain a little bit more what you mean by the object model that the Federated Wiki has? Or the well, smallest Federated Wiki? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, I call it Federated Wiki now. You know, the, the, In fact, we moved the repository out of MySpace where it was on GitHub where it was called Smallest Federated Wiki, and it's now in a organization called FedWiki for Federated Wiki. Yeah, the, the thing that's interesting is I'll fetch pages from different sites, and, and pages are represented in JSON, and it's a very simple JSON. But the paragraphs of JSON are tagged with the name of a plugin that can interpret it. So one plugin we use all the time is called Paragraph, and it just renders a very simple wiki markup as a text paragraph. And, and another one's called the image, and it does the obvious thing. But we can have, uh, oh, one I like is uh, the method calculator. You know, you, you kind of type in uh, a sequence of operations, and it uh, will compute an answer. But if you refer to a variable that isn't defined, it'll go looking around to see if it finds it on some other page you might have read. So the, the pages are communicating in an interesting way. So with it being federated, I'm, I'm a little bit confused here as to how it all works. But First of all, can you define what federated means? Yeah. Well, it means that I can write a link on a page in my server, and when I click, it will look on my server to see if it has that link. And if it doesn't find it on my server, it'll go to your server, and then Chuck's server, and around and around looking for it. It's kind of like the same way... Uh, 
object inheritance works. You know, you send a message to self, and if self doesn't know how to handle it, it goes and looks around in the hierarchy. In my federation, that, that, that's all done with, you know, with JavaScript code handling that click, and it needs to know about the sites that could be talking about, and that's done through a mechanism called the, the neighborhood. So when you start browsing, your neighborhood is one site, and as you start clicking, 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 it'll grow until it's, you know, a dozen sites or two dozen sites, and each time it learns of a new site, this single-page app, it uh, goes to that site and fetches a site map so it knows all the pages on that site. The idea is that we could have, you know, dozens of pages in a locality, not dozens of pages, dozens of sites, each with hundreds of pages, but that would overlap with some other dozens of sites and hundreds of pages about something else or some other community. And when they are introduced to each other, then all of a sudden you've got, what did I say, 200, you know, 20 sites with 200 pages or whatever the arithmetic is. Sure, sure. And so, so the idea is that as I click around, the page name is more important than where it found it from. And it'll, it'll look around for a page by page name. So is that per instance of the app running in the browser? Like it, it stores the state of what your neighborhood is in the single page app itself? Yes. Yeah, so if I'm you know, kind of weaving this web of associations, I will often have four or five tabs that are rooted in different places, each with different collections of sites merged together to form a neighborhood. In fact, if a neighborhood gets too big, it gets confusing. Uh, if you type a search, it searches the neighborhood, and you'll find too many results. So, so you like to keep the neighborhood sized to what you're thinking about on that tab. But it learns about sites by just finding pages that have traveled around through the Federation. And, you know, if a page has been to three different sites, and you look at that page, just looking at the page... We'll say, oh, well, I'd better get the site maps for those three different sites. And so that's how the neighborhood grows. Sure. It's kind of a beautiful concept. It seems like a lot of the connections on the web feel very static, and you're building these strong links between things with URLs and stuff like that. And this is a lot more ephemeral. And it, it seems like you might create a federated wiki, and then you'd go back the next day, and you might not necessarily be able to get that same state back. Yeah, that certainly happens. One thing you find yourself doing is is saying, I'd better grab something off that site and put it somewhere in my site that I won't lose it. And then you know you'll, uh, you'll always find your way back. Of course, there's no guarantee when you go back to it that it'll still be up. Sure. You know, we, you know, and, and so that's all the more reason that if you find something that you like, you should copy it to your site. And the licensing is this uh, Creative Commons attribution, share alike, you know, so, so as you build up a site, you're drawing in content from everywhere else. And because it remembers where that page has been, you're, you're weaving your site into this uh, corner of the Federation. I, I'm assuming that the Federation will be thousands or millions of servers. Right now, it's probably dozens or maybe hundreds. Nobody actually sure. has to tell me if they put a server up. So uh, I don't know for sure. No, you should put that into the license. Yeah, that they have to tell me. Well, you know, I've, I've worked real hard to make sure that nothing about this requires anything centralized. And that's a, you know, it just, everybody else is trying to figure out how to make things more centralized. So I figure uh, it's a good time for me to try to make things less centralized. Yeah, so, it really feels like a technology built off of philosophy instead of just trying to solve a problem almost. 
Yeah, and it kind of suffers from that in the sense that, you know, if you if you know what the problem you're trying to solve is, then you can uh, take a lot of shortcuts and go straight to that solution. But um, I'm building a technology that nobody actually asked for. And, uh, <laughs> so I have to guess what they'll want in the future. And what I like to think about is, you know, how, uh, you know, stories circulate. Let's call it gossip or uh, folk tales or anything cultural, you know, it gets, you know, uh, word gets around. And so I want the pages I write and the pages you write to circulate in that same way, where what server they happen to be on at the moment is not so important. But that just means I have to write JavaScript that kind of makes that seem normal. You know, so the, the blogosphere, of course, worked this way. You know, people talked about the blogosphere and, and people would quote their blog roles and stuff like that. But every blog tried to be different. And there was this idea that you would quote from blogs, but you wouldn't just take pages wholesale. So I just said, well, let's make the pages more similar and make it easier to take them wholesale and, and call that a commons, not a blogosphere, but a creative commons. And uh, it's, a, it's a very different way to think. You know, we're so used to avoiding duplication as programmers. We're training, whatever you do, don't duplicate yourself. You know, and I think that comes from accounting where, you know, the numbers may not be right, but if it's stored in only one place, it can't be self-contradictory. But, uh, you know, that's not the way life works. Life copies stuff all the time. You know, uh, proliferation is uh, what makes for success in life. So uh, if you write something really well and it gets copied into a thousand different servers, well, that's great. That is success. So let's say that I want to set up a site you know, a node or whatever you want to call it, set up a server. You know, do I just go and uh, basically clone the GitHub repository onto my machine and run it on Node.js? Yeah, yeah, that's a good uh, good way to do it. it. It is an NPM package named Wiki, so you can uh, NPM install Wiki and you're up and running. And then is there a client for it as well? Well, the uh, in the GitHub, we have broken it down to a bunch of different repos. There's a repo for the server, the node version, a repo for there's a Ruby version of the server. Uh, we have a repo for the client code. But then the client code has lots of plugins for the different kinds of things, the different markups you might want to have. So there's a repo for each one of those. But by the time you get to uh, npm install wiki, it brings down everything you need to have a nice uh, a nice site. And I would encourage people to just try that on their laptop. You know, get it running and talk to local host and, uh, you know, give it a try. Type some pages. You know, it's it, it's a little different. Of course, if it's on local host, that, you know, it's not any more public than your local host is. Probably half the pages I write are just on uh, local host. I use it uh, kind of as a scratch pad. But the other half of pages I write are on, on a server and, you know, up there 24-7. And uh, it might be 24, six and a half, actually. I don't think it's all that reliable. But, you know, they're to be copied, and uh, the more people I can get copying it, it's actually a nice fit with, uh, you know, these uh, cloud platforms. You know, anybody who can host a node program. Uh, on a laptop, we use flat files for the storage, but we talk to a number of different databases. And that's necessary for some of these platforms because they don't keep your flat files, but they will keep your database. So you said that you're, the, the Federated Wiki is implemented as a single-page app. How do you keep up with the developments in single-page app technologies in JavaScript? Because you've been working on this for years yeah, three now. Year, three years, yeah. And well, that's, it, it, that's like several cycles of evolution in 
best practices and thinking on how to build single page applications in JavaScript. Yes, yes, yes. And, you know, this is where being an open source project has been interesting because uh, people will come look through my code and they won't quite understand everything I'm doing, but they'll see that I'm doing something the old fashioned way. So they send me a pull request and before I accept it, I go research what they did and learn me, learn me some new JavaScript. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, that's been an interesting way to keep up. The um, I would say that uh, I suffer uh, the same way lots of first-time single-page authors suffer by doing too much jQuery, keeping too much in the DOM. I mean, I only had like three or four things in the DOM, but you know, three or four kinds of things, but after you get four or five pages with those three or four things, it gets a little confusing where things are, and, and uh, it slows down the evolution. You know, it's hard to keep up because you have to know too much to make anything work. So the first thing we did is we broke it into a bunch of repos and then a bunch of files and got Browserify in there so we could reason about it. Then we got the uh, dependency hierarchy kind of upside down, so that was a real challenge to turn that around and got that turned around. What do you mean by that, the dependency hierarchy upside down? Uh, That it was such that there was everything ultimately dependent upon one file called wiki. And once you brought that in, you brought everything in. So there was no there was no real modularity there. It was just a bunch of files. And so if I tried to do anything, I would actually introduce loops. I didn't have a discipline for how it all worked. You know, with Browserify, if you have loops, it just kind of quietly hands you nil when you think you've got an object. So that was some learning. But uh, got that turned around. And so now it's uh, reasonably modular. The challenge is to get the whole process of... From clicking a link to figuring out where the page is to reading that page to getting it rendered to getting all the plugins loaded that are needed for that, any special CSS. You know, I'm, I'm basically implementing the browser in the browser. So all that machinery is uh, still a little too dependent upon, you know, notes left behind in the DOM. And, and so we've built a pretty good model, you would say, making it more model-based. And the model isn't used uniformly throughout. But, you know, we're probably two or three long weekends from uh, fixing that up. And uh, then I think it'll be a lot more fun to work on. There is an abstraction in the model called a a lineup. And that makes more sense if you've seen the thing work. You know, you click on a page, click on a link, and it opens another page. The pages are kind of narrow, about the width of a phone, which is intentional. And on a regular laptop, they just start stacking up left to right and uh, call that the lineup. There's a model underneath that now that models each of those instances. And if you're actually computing by having paragraphs on one page interacting with paragraphs to the left of it, you know, pulling data around, then having that abstraction is really useful because then you can have something you can wrap your hands around and say this is the expression of what that calculation is. And this is where I get to... uh, you know, one of the motivations was to be able to share data, and I wanted to be able to pull data from one site and pull a visualization from another site and have that visualization discover the data and hook it up and manage uh, events back and forth and so forth so that if I scrub the data, the uh, visualization can respond to that motion. That's super cool. I'm always interested to hear about the architecture of projects, especially projects that have launched <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because then they're kind of they have constraints on them. You can't. You don't have this kind of idealized vision anymore. You've like made trade-offs to get something up and running, and it's 
always interesting to see the trade-offs that people make in order to launch things. I have a you know, friend that I, always I, says that there are two kinds of companies, those that ship and those that, what is it? Oh, I'm butchering this quote. It's like... Uh, I think I know this one. Two kinds right, of startups. Save me, Dave. <laughs> two kinds of startups. Those that fail and those that are embarrassed by their code. There you yeah. go. <laughs> yeah, but I think this, I mean, it doesn't have to be a startup. Well, uh, you know, that, that, pretty much products, products. that pretty much describes the original wiki and that it was my first ever Perl program. And as I was writing, I said, well, I know there's got to be a better way and maybe, you know, I can get some Perl experts to help me uh, straighten out this program. And I pretty quickly learned that Perl experts like to write programs, but they don't like to fix other people's messed up programs. <laughs> <laughs> so I never, never got any help. You know, it's it's been better in this project, but the advice is slow and it isn't always uh, consistent. You know, it can be contradictory. Sure. Uh, the place that I think is most interesting, by the way, and the thing that is least settled is when you load a page and it goes and it says, okay, let me load some plugins to understand the markup. And it says, oh, well, here's a new plugin, you know, some kind of visualizer or something. And it says this visualizer comes up and it says, well, let me go see if I can find some data. And once it finds some data, the contract between that source of data and that visualization of the data is completely ad hoc. Now, it's, it's well, you know, it's all Java. I mean, it's all JavaScript, and you know what you can do. And so uh, as I constructed plugins that did that sort of thing, I said, well, I'm not sure how they should work. So every case I did a little differently. And so I have a lot of experience in different ways to do it, but I haven't gotten to the point where I can say, yes, this is the one right way to do it. And I have had a lot of advice you know, some people say, "Well, yeah, you know, you gotta, you gotta use." Uh, I'm forgetting the word. You know, the the delayed evaluation thing done with uh, lambdas promises. But th but then I talk to other people and they say, "Well, you know, if if you look at the way Node works, and I am kind of copying Node by using Browserify and stuff." They say there's there's really two ways to uh, talk. One is with events, and and the other is with pipes. And so I have events which I've been kind of using now and and looking through the DOM to see what's near me. And I have this, this uh, aspiration to do pipes because this lineup is a lot like a pipeline in Unix, and it has that same sort of similar ad hoc, you know, you stick some things together, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, you change it around a little bit. But, you know, then I get this dynamics that, you know, well, it isn't hooked together. Oops, now it's hooked together. Maybe that means, oops, now it's not hooked together anymore. You know, and that is uh, not what you usually see in a web app. A web app is usually pretty in control of what's loaded when, and you can reason about it. Whereas in my case, it's, it's the end user and what they choose to click determines what put together and how it works. What I'd love to be able to do is grab a whole page and then just drag it over other pages and have it rebinding while it's still in the air. Kind of a sorts. I do do refactoring, you know, so if I have uh, pages from two different sites and I don't like the way they're organized, and I say, well, this paragraph ought to be on this other site, I can just drag paragraphs back and forth. And that works because it doesn't actually write on either one of the sites. It writes the improved pages on my site, because remember, pages can be anywhere. It seems like this delves into the realm of distributed systems. Do you care about things like consistency or, or do you just say like whatever your sitemap is, is a snapshot of what it was at the time that you crawled or do you, yeah. do, you do much to, to solve that problem or you just kind of well, not worry uh, about it? The, uh, the first principle I've uh, assumed is that having a bunch of computers 
you know, feel like a bunch of computers is actually a feature, not a flaw. You know, that I'm not trying to make a bunch of computers behave like one computer. I'm trying to let each one be its own individual, whatever it is. So my challenge is to make that manageable to a user that's trying to make sense of a world that's diverse. And the example I always give is, you know, in wikis, you usually have to have some sort of guiding principles about how you're going to maintain order. Otherwise, you know, people go off in different directions, and that's not too good on a wiki. On Wikipedia, the rule is neutral point of view and no original research. If you want to do original research, you don't belong on Wikipedia. You know, that's how they keep the peace. But in a federated wiki, you know, because the only place I can write is on my own wiki, I can write whatever I darn well please. And if it's interesting to other people, they'll read it and copy it. And if it's not interesting to other people, they won't. So in that sense, the diversity is the feature that allows us to, you know, explore a space beyond uh, conventional wisdom. And I think that that's important. Now, it won't really do anything amazing if we don't find that there is some sort of force for eventual consistency, that, you know, people can take different points of view, but eventually they say, well, you know, really, I like your idea better than mine, and, you know, I'm just going to fork your version of my page back over mine, that kind of resolution. But I think that could take, it's a slow motion thing. What about areas where there isn't some kind of consensus? Yeah, I think people will go their own ways and stay apart. So, the, I mean, the job of the tool isn't to establish consensus. It's to let people create whatever they want, right? Yes. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Kind yeah. of a design decision? Well, it's, you know, it's the way life works, right? You know, I tell people, you know, you have your children and you give them everything you can and they move out of the house and they don't even bother to call home. <laughs> right? They're, they're their own thing, you know? And, and sure, there's a little bit of you in there, but not anymore. You know, that's progress. Same with... Same with storytelling. You know, every every storyteller, you know, customizes the, the story. This is when we used to have storytellers. Now we, uh, you know, we have books. That One of the things that I remember as a kid is it, it re- really confused me why the section of the library devoted to fiction is so much larger than everything else. And, and to me, fiction sounded like lies. You know, fiction is not true, right? But there's there's something about that that is attractive to humans, and, and that's the kind of material that I want, you know, if you want to find out what the mass of an electron is, you know, you check Wikipedia. But if you want to debate, you know, how we're going to, you know, live together on this earth, you know, 50 years from now, you know, that's, it's good to have some good data, but it's that interpretation of that data. Well, this data says we can't do this or we can't do that, but there's four more things we could do, but maybe not all four. That sort of conversation is the uh, the sort of thing that I think this is uh, good for, where where interpretation, you know, is an important part of the process of, of doing anything. So I think it's interesting that, you know, you can have these different point of views in the different wikis, and, you know, you can merge your page with somebody else's page, so to speak. But do you see this creating conversations somehow, some way? You know, maybe saying, you know, if you have a differing point of view or if you're interested in this differing point of view, go over here. Sure, sure, very much so. And if you think about it, uh, people talk about the scientific literature as a conversation, but it is more slow motion than this. You know, it, it's a, you know, it takes months to get your paper published, and when it's finally published, it takes, uh, you know, months for people to read it. But, you know, then they when they write their papers, they cite your paper, and it all gets woven together through this, uh, you know, scientific citation. 
and that you know carries uh, science along. So science is really the uh, you know the, you know it's gossip you know improved, but it's it's also something that's pretty tedious you know in the sense that boy if you don't make your references right you know your paper doesn't get accepted and you know you pretty much have to get a PhD the difference between getting a master's degree and a PhD is you've been trained to participate in this community so if you have to spend now so many years to learn how to even participate in the community we've made that community pretty hard so I think it would be great if wiki isn't you know a giant chat room but is is more like a you know, a repository for thought that, you know, has kind of the characteristic of the scientific literature, but it's just a lot easier to do. So one thing that I, I can see coming out of this is just the idea of, you know, the community putting all of its knowledge together and sharing it. Is there a way that we can facilitate that with the uh, Federated Wiki or encourage people to set up their own wikis? I don't know. I set the bar pretty high in the sense that you know, I say, well, you know, gee, if you want to participate in the conversation with me, you've got to, you know, set up set up a wiki. And then I say, well, you know, it's a one line command if you've got Node installed, but you know, it's it's still you got to get Node installed and you got to understand what a domain name is and it'd help if you bought one. You know, by refusing to run the single website that's going to host all of these conversations by insisting that people do it for themselves, I've uh, you know, I'm running against the grain, but I'm I'm willing to wait. You know, I'm willing to wait to people, you know, figure it out and uh, join me. So I write in it every day. I, I like it. I make I make sites like most people make documents. You know, and to me, a, a site is a place where you've defined a bunch of pages that kind of go together and depend upon each other, and and in some sense represents my part of some conversation. And that conversation could be going on in the present, which it is on some of my sites, and it could be going on into the future on uh, other sites I make because there's there's no participants in that conversation yet. You know, it's it's something that's kind of hard to understand. And, and I remember I started out by saying I made a version of Wiki that nobody asked for. Well, so if this is seeming kind of strange, it's because you never thought to ask for it. And you won't ask for it. Mo- nobody's going to want this unless they see it working, and then they'll say, wow, how does that even work? You know, how is this working so well? And then they'll study it and they'll find out that there's a handful of design decisions that really favored this style of collaboration. And I'm hoping that it'll be successful as the original wiki. The original wiki is kind of the same way. You know, it was there on my site for five years before the encyclopedia people even paid attention. And they're still bitterly fighting over whether it was a good idea or not. So... uh, (laughs) It's a grand experiment. But, you know, I, I find that, well, a friend of mine who, who writes every day in it, he said, you know, if you write once a week, you'll wonder why Federated Wiki isn't more like Word. But if you write in Federated Wiki every day, pretty soon you wonder why, why Word isn't more like Federated Wiki. And it's that sense, if you write every day, then, you know, just your own interests are, are so varied that you'll find yourself talking about different things on every day. And, and then you say, you know, I think I talked about this two weeks ago. And sure enough, you did. And then you just link that page to whatever you have or copy it around or pull it out of one wiki and stick it on another wiki. And then these two wikis that were really about a different subject have this kind of thread between them. That somebody who finds that part of this other wiki will find its way back to the first. It's a little like spelunking. You know, you uh, quickly admit that I make it easier for the writer to write. And I put a burden on the reader to go figure out what's there. 
you know, you, that it's it's not like reading an article in a magazine where, you know, the first five paragraphs prepare you to read the next five, and then the next five kind of tell you the important point, and then the next five paragraphs after that kind of wind it up, you know, that where you've had a whole experience. It's like watching a movie from beginning to end. This is uh, much more chopped up. It's like finding a bunch of notes scattered along a hallway, <laughs> and you're trying to figure out, well, you know, this note seems important, and it's right next to this note, so that must mean something. What does it possibly mean? So have you found that this style appeals to a certain kind of reader? Well, that's a good question. I have a friend who's run a class in it. You know, it's a class on educational technology. And he told the students, he said, well, we're going to use this new wiki, and it'll be unlike anything you've ever used before. But the thing that's different in this class is that we insist that you look at everybody else's work and copy from it freely. So they would study different educational, you know, tools for educational technology and, and principles and whatever. It was taught like the class. But uh, instead of writing their notes on a blog, which has been done, this is writing it in a wiki and with the insistence that people copy from each other. So you ought to make it up to your standards because you will be judged on, you know, what's on your wiki is, is representing you. It's like we're in this together to learn this material in the class. We're all moving through that material at the same rate. We're all understanding different aspects of the material, and we're all writing about what we understand. And then we're carrying each other forward by sharing the words we write. And if you think about it, it's, uh, I don't know if it's communism or something like that, but it's, it's certainly not, you know, the, the fight for grades that you usually associate. You know, you, you really are better off if you help other people because then they're more likely to help you tomorrow. That does lead me to one thing um, you mentioned, that the content on the wiki is Creative Commons. Yes. It feels a little bit like the conversation that we have as technologists when we talk about things like the GPL license. Yes. Do you get blowback at all? Or I don't know if blowback is the right word, but you know, do you have people that object to it being Creative Commons? Uh, I think by the time they're interested in what I'm doing, they're well beyond that uh, fear. But I will say that you know, sometimes I sum it up. I say that the Federated Wiki, or the you know, I'll just say Wiki. The future of Wiki is Federated Wiki, and a Wiki is a combination of three things. One is that Creative Commons license. You know, another is this uh, cross-origin resource sharing, CORES. You know, and the third thing is uh, JSON, the schema that I use. So, uh, you know, the, the, the pages are in JSON. It's very simple and it's not versioned. You know, it's, it's my version of HTML, I guess you could say. And uh, you can copy it freely because you have the license and you have the headers that make it possible. You know, the, the browser tries very hard to keep you from... You know, starting on one site and writing on another or reading, you know, it, it, it's programmed to not let you do that. And so we're always kind of bumping up against that assumption. But this, you know, of course, that was true of the original, the original wiki. You know, there was, there was supposed to be a put command in there and nobody implemented it. So we used this crazy forms, you know, kludge to uh, make a read-write web. And, uh, you know, it became something. It wasn't the most direct route. And so every time we're skirting issues of uh, cross-origin, uh, you know, we just say, well, it's just what we have to do to use, to use the environment that's been given us to, to make something new. So I have a question about community. And lots of these communities like Hacker News or Twitter or something where it's a centralized group kind of mm -hmm. running it and owning it, you have tools for kind of moderating the community and 
expressing like disapproval and you can report people for abuse and stuff like that. And even though they don't work very well, there's at least somewhere to turn. Mm -hmm. And it seems like in a, in a federated wiki like this, it's kind of wild west, right? There's no centralized control possible. Have you thought about how you would deal with someone that's doing things that the community kind of deems abusive? Yeah, it's something that I go back to continuously. And I'm hoping that uh, people will be able to tell somebody who's there in a giving sense and trying to help you be successful with whatever you're doing. And and someone who's a, abusive, a griefer, griefer is what I, I think of, people who enjoy causing you unhappiness, you know, that, that you just say, well, I'm just not going to that guy's site anymore. You know, and uh, there there might be schemes. You know, if you know there there can be people who are kind of psychopathic or, or what is it uh, where they can appear to be very different than they truly are. Hypocritical. And, oh, it's it's um, sociopath. Sociopathic is is the is the phrase. You, you know, typically these people in real life end up you know forming cults where uh, people become devoted to them. That you know where their interest is not at heart. And, and and I think that that could form. I hope that that would be a a small part of. Uh, I mean, I mean, this you know, anything that happens in a real culture, you know, w will eventually happen here. But I hope it'll happen in a way that it's actually just easier to manage than it would be without the aid of a computer. But no, I, I worry about that a lot. And a lot of people will say, well, how could I know if anybody has read my pages? And I said, well, I could make it so anytime they read them that I make a record of it and, and tell you who they are, you know, but do you, do you really want to spy on other people or is that really your goal? You know, you should, you know, you'll know that people have been reading you when you start reading other people who mention you, you know, it's uh, th this idea that we have to measure our reach, you know, really comes from publishing. And we know in publishing, you know, your readers are the product, right? Because uh, you need to know what your reach is so that you can uh, convince your advertisers to uh, pay a premium rate. And I'm hoping that just, uh, you know, that it's, that it's easy enough to put up a server. And, and if we all, you know, carry a few hundred pages, then we can have millions of pages. And it won't need a central resource. You know, I, I think that that was kind of the vision of the Internet in the first place and certainly uh, the web in the first place. But, you know, it's uh, it was just incomplete enough to really use it in a two-way way has taken, uh, you know, big data centers and uh, concentration. And, and you know, uh, Wikipedia is certainly that, and, and I admire everything they do. But it's, you know, they have to be vigilant and how their equipment is being used and, and protect the investment that's already been made in Google and Facebook, Twitter, and all, the, all these things. In fact, it's, it's a model for success is let's get some eyeballs and, and see if we can monetize them. And, you know, if you're, I don't know how, how fast you're disconnecting from these services, but I just, I just try to keep the services to a minimum, you know, because eventually they, they turn, on, turn against me. So if somebody is a griefer, is there a way to say, I don't want them in my neighborhood anymore? Sure, because your neighborhood, remember, your neighborhood is formed as you start following the links that you've assembled. You know, so the, you know, you know, every tab I open in my browser starts at some site, you know, that I've chosen that I know the URL of. And usually it's my own. But, uh, you know, then as I browse pages, it grows and you know, I can, you know, there's a list of pages. So if I, if there's an area that, you know, if, if there's a site that I don't like, 
anymore. I uh, I don't go there. In fact, I can pull the pages I like and leave the pages I don't and make my own version of the site. Now, through this attribution requirement of the license, if there's somebody who, you know, that I've fallen out with, but I've taken half their pages, you know, I still have to, you know, give attribution to them. So if you come to my site, you might say, well, who is this guy? And then you might say, oh, gee, Ward's pages are so much better than his. I can't believe he ever dealt with them, right? Because he's clearly a griefer. He's gone off the deep end. So oh, Right, because so, you can pull in his content and then modify it to make it nicer, better, conform better to your point of view. Yeah, yeah. This is like my teacher friend who says, you can take any student stuff and put it on your own site and call it your own, but it better be your own. You better know it and own it and raise it to your standards. And so, you know, rising tide, raising all boats sort of thing. All boats that choose to participate. All boats that don't sink, I guess. And uh, it takes a tremendous amount of energy to manage a community, on the uh, modern internet. It was easy for me in 1995 to the year 2000. It just took care of itself. But then as uh, the population grew and, well, I don't know, just people started getting nasty, you know, and this thing called the wiki spam showed up and then we had to fight spam and we had to come up with all this machinery and it was an arms race. And, you know, I uh, kind of opted, you know, I I dropped out of Google at one point because Google, it was really cool early on that you could, I was on the top, you know, the top two or three you know, pretty much every, you know, query that had anything to do with computers, computer science anyway. And, you know, that was cool. But then it sent me too much traffic. And I just said, well, let's just not uh, have so much traffic. And maybe it'll stick around a little longer. I didn't want to enter into an arms race with griefers. So uh, I didn't. But now I think I have something that, you know, it, it might be harder to have a real clear sense of what the agreement is on the site because maybe there isn't an agreement because it's really a bunch of sites but i think that it will from that it'll have a stability that is natural of course you go look at you know you know ecological systems and there are invasive species botanists don't like that term because they say well there's you know this is just because this you know species wasn't here you know a hundred years ago that's just what species do you know so there'll be a you know washing of uh, genomes back and forth across the space. So in mine, we'll have a washing of pages back and forth across the space. And uh, I just hope it comes out better. I'm kind of pleased with the way life turned out. All those genomes have uh, made some pretty amazing things. So has this kind of, uh, I, I just keep thinking about, you know, the way that I create content and it's generally podcasting and blogging. Has this kind of replaced blogging for you? Do you just, you know, create pages about the things that you're interested in? Or... I actually listen to lots of podcasts. I uh, thrive on uh, on the BBC and all the content they produce, and, and it, it's outside of my usual field of study. I read lots of uh, Twitter. I try to keep it to, you know, it's kind of my morning newspapers to see what Twitter has brought me. And all day long, I'm, I'm on Stack Exchange, Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, because I'm programming in five different languages at the same time, and I can never remember how to write a loop in each one. So yeah, that stuff, I'm glad those are there. And those are some of my uh, favorite services. I wouldn't want them to go away. But in that sense, I think that Federated Wiki will always be, you know, at its best will just be a part of the internet, a part that's well suited for the kind of things it does. But I I think it does encourage personal writing and reflection and uh, study. You know, I don't think uh, you should have to, uh, you know, meet the uh, editorial standards of Wikipedia, you know, 
to talk about something that's important to you. I don't think you should have to, you know, understand video codecs to uh, send a video. You know, I think it, it should all be, you know, done in small scale with easy stuff with the computers that are available today. And, and if you write content that, you know, goes viral, it'll go find all the computers to be viral on. So you don't even need to have a data center to uh, survive being uh, slash dotted. So I guess that's a yes and a no. I think that uh, people who can produce a highly produced product, you know, will be appreciated. You know, a feature length movie, for example, is highly produced, very expensive, but you know, it's it's concentrated entertainment. But uh, there'll also be this, uh, you know, among people who are like minded or, or find each other interesting. It'll be something that's a little more formal and lasting than a uh, party conversation, and and you know, a little less formal than a research report. And I think there'll be a lot of it. Any other questions, guys, before we go to picks? I'm fresh out. Me too. Well, I hope I've been useful. I have this feeling that I've kind of brain dumped on you here. And, and just because there's uh, three of you and one of me, I've, I've tried to speak in kind of a way that uh, challenges you to make sense, you know, to, to emphasize the difference of what I'm doing. But there is a sense that I want it to seem familiar. I want it to seem, you know, easy. The things that we've been talking about are the things that make it different and the things that have been a challenge to me. But in the end, if I get the JavaScript to just, you know, remind you at the right point that if, oh, well, this little green dot here means that there's more. And if I feel like it, I click the dot and I get more. And nothing more complicated than that, that it'll be something of lasting value. And the lasting value will come from uh, people like you and me. I have bad news for you, Ward. (laughs) There's three of us and one of you. There are thousands of us. Yeah, so, all right. <laughs> awesome. Well, if you all install a wiki, then I'll be very happy. That's uh, wiki on NPM. Well, the thing that's interesting to me about it is just, you know, you talked about the community aspects and the fact that, you know, we can mind share, you know, this stuff. And the other thing that's interesting is, you know, the parts where we deviate, we just, you know, I can check out yours or I can check out mine and, it, you know, it works out. But the the idea of community knowledge and the ability to share it, and the ability for it to be mostly automatic is just really cool. Yeah, and I think that this will really be attractive to people who have an open mind who actually enjoy reading two or three points of view or admire somebody who's obsessive-compulsive in their their study of of X or Y or Z, and and that you can kind of travel through that for a day and then go somewhere else tomorrow. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks. Dave, do you want to start us off with picks? Sure, can do. I have two picks today, and they both start with the letter S. The first one is a little Python open source project called Sentry, and we use it at work, and I really like it. You install it in your Python application, like if it's a Django web application, for example, and anytime your Python code throws an unexpected exception, it will report it to the Sentry server and group like errors and do all kinds of fun stuff with them so that you can search them and comment on them with each other, mark them as resolved, and it's just a great way to get sanity around the uh, errors that your application emits. I've been pretty happy with it. The second pick that starts with the letter S is Splunk. I'm sure lots of you have used Splunk, but I just wanted to pick it because I've really been enjoying it lately. It's another way to help me get my head around what my system is doing. I can set up alerts with it, of course, search logs, real-time search, all kinds of fun stuff. But there we go. Those are my two picks brought to you this week by the letter S. All right, Jameson, I expect yours to have the number 12. Uh, it has the number three, and three is a divisor of 12. So that works, right? I guess. Okay, cool. So I have three picks. 
One is a book called The Terror by Dan Simmons. He wrote the Hyperion sci-fi series. But The Terror is kind of like a an exploration horror book. It's about this ship that gets trapped in the ice in the Arctic in the 1800s. And then spooky stuff happens. It was really well, well written, I thought. And it did a good job of making the environment and the weather scarier than the spooky stuff that happens, which is cool. My next pick is a band called Until the Ribbon Break. They cover this Robert Palmer song, which was released before I was born, but I remember growing up and listening to and like dancing around in my dad's sunglasses too. And it's super great. So there's a link to their, to the YouTube video of the cover. The video is garbage, but the song is really good. And then the last pick, I cannot not pick this. It's Flow by Facebook. They just released it today. They've been talking about it for a couple months, though. It's their kind of optionally typed JavaScript superset. It seems like it's so hot right now to make one of those, but theirs takes a, a different tack. It does a lot of type inference for you. So if you just kind of start using it and don't put any types on any of your JavaScript code, it'll still warn you about passing in different types of arguments to functions. and So you still get some benefits just right out of the box. And then you can do what you can do in TypeScript and AdScript, where you can optionally add on types later and get some better checking and stuff. Yeah, so that came out today. It's still pretty rough around the edges, but it's super cool. Those are my picks. Awesome. Uh, I've got a few picks here. The first one is... So I was a guest on the Entreprogrammers podcast about two weeks ago, and they invited me back as a regular. So... It's just been really fun. So anyway, I'm going to pick the Entreprogrammers podcast. It's kind of a mastermind group slash, you know, business discussion by guys who are programmers. So, you know, that kind of gives you some context there. It's been really fun. I've gotten some great advice on there, and they usually have a pretty good discussion about stuff. Or we we now, I have to say we because I'm, I'm on the show. Anyway, it's also nice to be on a podcast that I don't have to produce. But anyway, so that's one pick. My next pick is the Angular Timer. It's a plugin for Angular. And essentially, you know, you just hook it in and then you can do things like countdown timers or, you know, you can have it count the seconds or milliseconds, count up or all kinds of stuff. It's a pretty handy thing. So if you're into AngularJS, go check that out. While I'm talking about it, I've had several people on Twitter basically say, I didn't know you did an Angular podcast. We do an Angular podcast. You can go to adventuresinangular.com and check it out. And it's gotten to be fairly popular, so I'm excited for what we can do for the community there. And if you're into AngularJS, go check it out. Finally, my wife and I took some time this weekend. I have to say it was one of those timeshare deals where you you show up and then they, you have to go sit through their pitch in order to get the vacation. So uh, part of the vacation was two hours of them trying to sell us timeshares. But it was nice just to get away. So, you know, we just had some us time. We watched some movies. We wandered around Park City, Park City, Utah, which is where they hold the Sundance Film Festival. And it's also where the Olympic training for the Winter Olympics is. So if you want to do either of those interesting things, you can definitely go up there. I think that those are about the only times you're going to see celebrities in Utah is during the Sundance Film Festival. But it's a great little town. And uh, we had a good time. So, you know, just taking some time for yourself or, you know, with your significant other and finding a sister-in-law who's willing to watch your kids and, you know, go up to Park City or go somewhere near you that's fun and different. And yeah, just awesome stuff. So those are my picks. Hey, Chuck, there's one other time you can see a celebrity in Utah. When's that? Anytime you're in the same room with Jameson Dance. That's right. I was going to make that joke about Dave Smith. (laughs) I've been out joked. (laughs) No. Oh. All right, Ward, do you have some picks for us? 
Oh, gosh. I'll uh, recommend uh, Mike Caulfield, who is the educator I was mentioning, and he writes a blog called Upgood. And I always find it by just typing Mike Caulfield into the browser. And he writes uh, regularly about educational technology and has been on a uh, federated wiki jag for uh, half a year now and does kind of, well, what I love is he he did this kind of fictionalized account of uh, Arthur Clarke inventing uh, GPS satellites uh, using federated wiki. You can imagine it happening. What he's really doing is taking... uh, you know, a, a progress in science that, you know, took decades and imagining it happen in weeks in people collaborating uh, and not even realizing they're collaborating, discovering collaborations uh, with the Federated Wiki. It's a good way to absorb it. And I'm going to leave it at that. You know, he writes a lot and is a, a very successful traditional blogger. So uh, people will feel very comfortable reading his stuff and it'll give you a good dose of the best that's going on in, with my stuff. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming, Ward. It was fun to talk, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at a a few more conferences here. Well, I enjoyed being at the Mountain West. That was a very good conference. Yeah, and it was fun to see you and talk to you, and so, you know, maybe we'll be able to get you on uh, some of the other shows. I'd enjoy it. This has been uh, very comfortable. All right. Well, uh, I want to thank all of our listeners for listening, and thank you again, Ward, for coming, and we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit cachefly.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests.